Proverbs 1, and I picked verses 8 and 9. I probably should have done this before the kids left, but I'll just give it to you, to you, and you can tell them later. My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. I should have done that with the kids here, shouldn't I? That's a good one. I love that one. Have you ever been someplace um, where you've seen um, a guy standing on a street corner, and maybe he's got a Bible in one hand and a megaphone in the other, and he's shouting something, you know? Or maybe he's just talking, you know? I, I've, seen it, I've seen it in several places in my life. I've, you know, down, downtown Seattle, I've seen it. I've, I've been on vacation into places where tourists are, and there are people roaming. And, and um, most of the time, I'm thinking, okay... I, I see a Bible in their hand, and they're shouting something, and I don't even hear what they're saying. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen that? It's like there's, there's some sort of angry discourse going on, and it, is, it embarrasses me. You know, it's loud, and it's angry, and I'm thinking, you know, that is not what Jesus would have been doing. And I, I think in my mind, um, what does the world think when they see that? And they're thinking, I don't get this, but if this is God, I don't want anything to do with it. You know, I think that's what people think. And, you know, I mean, sometimes well, I meet people, and when I meet people, they say, hey, what do you do? What do you do for a living? And that's always an a awkward moment for me, because two, one of two things happens. If I say I'm a pastor, and the person happens to be a Christian, a lot of times, it, all of a sudden, the conversation turns into this hyper-spiritual praise the Lord fest, <laughs> which is, is, is all good and wonderful, but it's not in keeping with my personal temperament and personality. That's not me. I'm not, oh, praise the Lord, fast person, you know. Um, <laughs> that's kind of weird, wasn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, that's in my heart, but I'm not this gay frolicking, well, what I mean by gay. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I'm already in trouble here today. I, that's just not my temperament. It's just not my temperament. And sometimes it, it'll happen with a person because they'll just want to, put on a good impression, um, but it can become really superficial, you know. And the other end of the spectrum will be someone, you know, they say, hey, what do you do? And if I've been with them for a while, um, I was helping, helping moving, move a guy recently, and this, this guy and several of his friends who weren't Christians, we were helping move him, and there was a lot of words that were flying through the air that were blue, you know, <laughs> not from me. And uh, after a couple of hours, um, one of them says, hey, what do you do? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm a preacher. And it, the conversation just kind of augured into the mountainside. It's done. It's like it's just done there. And every once in a while, when I have that conversation, the person will be very bold and direct, and they'll say, well, you know what? I'm not a religious person, and I really don't like religious people. And you know, I think about that, and I think, wow, good, cool. Here's my, here's my response. I say, you know what? Me too. I don't like religious people either. That's awesome. And that generates the next question in their mind. Well, what do you mean? You're a preacher, but you don't like religious people? I want to tell you right now, God did not send his son to the earth to make you become religious. He didn't come to make us religious you know, the root word for religion is, um, you can, it, it can translate to a return to bondage. 
I, maybe if you didn't know that, but if you dig down, the, the root words for religion have to do with returning and being bound or binding. A return to bondage is what religion is. But that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come and die and all, uh, all that he went through for us to become religious. He came instead to set us free. Christianity, what we believe we uh, were participants in, is not a religion. It's a relationship with the living God. And that's why God sent his son to reveal himself to us so we could get transformed by our relationship with Jesus. And it's not a religion. It's a relationship. So today, um, I want to talk to you about um, toxic religion, and we have done a couple of messages before on things that are toxic, and here's our definition of toxic. I'll put that up there for you again. Toxic is anything containing poisonous material capable of causing sickness or even death. And in our world, so many people are very slowly and silently being poisoned by all sorts of things in this world. Um, I, I just want to invite the Lord. God, as we work into your word today, I just pray that you would speak to us, that you would help us to see what we need to see and to become your friends, Lord. Um, and Lord, that there would be something of life in the words. In Jesus' name, a- amen. So toxic, anything containing poisonous material capable of causing sickness or even death. You know, if there is anything that is causing spiritual sickness and even death in the world today, it's toxic religion. It's the purity of the message of God being polluted somehow by religion. Now, um, I'll, I'll give you, a, there's, there's several in, in Scripture, but I'll give you one really powerful example of toxic religion. Um, you know the Apostle Paul. He was, um, he was a church planter, basically. He would, would go into a place, share the gospel with some people. They would come to a relationship with Jesus. He would train them, build their leadership skills, and release them. They would develop a local church, if you will, and a group of people. And then he would kind of pack up and move to another city, and he'd do it, the whole thing over again. And then occasionally he'd keep track with them. He'd write them letters. Some of those letters have turned into the books of the, of the New Testament that we know. So he would do this. And Galatia is one place um, where that happened and where there was a tremendous church built in Galatia. And then we have the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is a letter that Paul wrote to the people of the church in Galatia. Okay, so he, he, did, this, he, he did this in Galatia, and, um, and there, was an, a, there was people that would come in behind and would participate, and there was a group of people who philosophically were known as the Judaizers. Judaizers. And basically, they were people who believed in the necessity of obeying the Mosaic law. Okay? So um, they, they, they opened their hearts to Jesus, but they felt like they still were supposed to obey the Mosaic Law. Now, the Mosaic Law, you can find it in the first five books of the, our Old Testament. The Torah is what they call it. And, uh, or you've heard the phrase, the Law of Moses. There are 613 commandments in the, in the Mosaic Law. Anyway, so the, the, the Judaizers basically would come in after he'd left and, and say, well, you know, all this stuff that, that Paul taught about Jesus, that's all good, that's all good. But we know a little bit better than Paul does, and we want you to know that um, you should do all of those things, but to be right with God, you also have to be circumcised. In other words, Jesus did something, but to be right with God, you still have to obey the full Jewish law. Now, that created a whole lot of tension, as you can imagine, for them. You know, moving into a Gentile area where the men hadn't been circumcised. Um, well, let's, let's transpose that into today's kind of thinking, okay? Put that into today's thinking. Let's just say that to get saved here, you had to open your heart to Jesus and get circumcised. And um, 
I mean, come on. We have a hard enough time, even though we don't have a baptistry. I mean, it's hard in church to get people to get baptized, to, to get them to get baptized. I mean, that's like you get, it, you get wet, okay? You go down, up and down to the water, that's it, baptism. But let's just imagine saying, okay, last week on Easter, several men raised their, heart and I, their hands, and I said, okay, you, you know, your, your sins are forgiven, the Bible says, but now the service is ending, and I whip out my handy, handy scalpel, and I say, okay, but if you want to get with, right, with God, come on up here, and we're going to fix this for you. <laughs> Okay, that's what the Judaizers were saying. I can get in big trouble here today, I can tell. So Paul hears about all this, and he gets really upset. He gets really upset. Galatians, so let's, let's look at the book of Galatians, verse, or chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Here's what he says. I'm astonished. Astonished is a big word. You know, it's like, not, it's not um, surprised. It's astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. The word pervert there is uh, metastrepho, and, and the, the root word there means to twist, to reverse, to corrupt, to distort, to poison trying to poison the gospel of Christ. They were taking the purity of the gospel and poisoning it with their religion. They were saying, Christ plus, and then you fill in the blank. To be saved, you have to do Jesus plus, fill in the blank. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of the most common ingredients of toxic religion. And the first one, the first thing that you'll see common to toxic religion is that it focuses on the external rather than the internal. It's an, it's an attempt to close the gap between a sinful man and a holy God. And, you know, it's an outward effort to close that gap. It's like reducing Christianity to a whole bunch of rules, a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts. And it was common then, and it's common today. It's common here, probably. Um, you know, there, it, it, in their day, there was a group of people that were very, very careful to live their philosophy, their theology very, very expressively, and they were known as the Pharisees. And they lived, you know, to give them their due, they lived a pretty upstanding life. They were pretty squared away. They, they were pretty pure in the way they lived. Now, you and I, like I said before, we have 10 commandments that we live with. They had 613 that they lived by, and they learned them all by memory, okay? So they knew what grains you could mix with, you know, they, all these different things that you could do. And by the, they did the best they could to outwardly live a life that would be consistent with those commands. But it was more of an outward appearance. It wasn't internally real. And Jesus despised that type of religion. He hated it. He absolutely despised it. Matthew 23, 25 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. The Pharisees were all about the look. You know, they would stand and pray on the street corners and put on this display, and they were all about the look. The problem is that as you cultivate the look, eventually what's really on the inside is going to make its way to the outside, and it's going to become visible. I'll give you an example of that personal one. Lisa and I um, used to snow ski. We don't snow ski really much anymore. Um, we never really snow skied very well, but we had friends who were very good skiers. They had grown up on skis, and somehow we 
got conned into going skiing, and we kind of liked it. So we bought some skis, and we bought the outfits, and we did all that kind of stuff. And, and my friend used to joke with us, and he would say to me, hey, it doesn't really matter how well you ski, it's how good you look. <laughs> You've probably seen skiers like that before, right? They were so good as skiers. You know, Lisa and I weren't, you know, absolute beginners, but we could make our way down the hill. I think from the summit down to the bottom was only like a four- or five-hour journey. And if you know anything about skiing... <laughs> It was a long ways down. But these other guys were so good, they would ski and they would carry their video cameras with them. Now, maybe some of you can do that, but these, they, they really didn't need the poles and they could do the shushing and all of that. And they would film. So we got down to, um, to the lodge and they said, hey, we got some films in the, when we were at our cabin that night. We got some films of you guys skiing. Let's watch them. So we, we did. Now, they were across this valley and... Um, I had the look. I had the right clothes on, right? I had the look. And here's this big hill, and it's full of bumps, and, and here comes Lisa. I'm still up there somewhere. Here comes Lisa. Down she goes. And she's in the middle of the hill. And now I'm coming down the hill, and I see my wife, and she's down on the ground. Here I come. So I go charging across the hillside, cutting down there, and I'm picking up speed. I'm going to go help my wife. And um, the problem is that Going fast is not that difficult. That's the easy part of skiing. It's the stopping that's so hard. It's really hard to stop on the middle of the hill unless you have something to run into to stop you. So here I come charging across the mountainside, having the look and finding something to stop me. And it's my poor wife who was already in a... So the film was me coming down and... The truth is that what's on the inside comes out. It just comes out. And the Pharisees, they would just, they would do all this stuff. They would pray loud and long for people to hear them. And they would, when they would go and play, bring their offering, they would make sure, see what I'm putting in the bag? They would make sure that everybody would see what their offering was. They, they would dress in ways that people would realize they were of someone of importance and so forth. I mean, not talking about dressing nicely and it's fun to go out and get dolled up for Christmas parties. I'm not talking about that. This was something completely different. People look at the outside and they make all of these assessments and it's a real weakness for us. I'm, I, I have this memory that's branded into my heart, into my soul. It's, it's something I learned as a leader. I've made a lot of mistakes as a leader before and I've learned from those. And sometimes I've watched somebody else's mistake and I've learned from those. Here's one that I really am glad that it wasn't me because I'm still ashamed about what I watched happen. Um, and I don't mean to say I'm glad it wasn't me in a puffy way I'm just grateful because I could have made the mistake um, but you know society's society's norms drift over time okay so this story I'm going to tell you is at least 15 maybe 20 years old probably 20 years old and um, I'm a pastor in a church and um, we have people come into church and there has been a, um, um, a tradition in the past that when men come inside of a building you take your cap off out of respect. And okay, that's, that's like, fine. I don't have any trouble with the society norm. Um, but um, I watched this episode one time when a young boy was coming into church. He had a baseball hat on. I, a teenager. Teenager, not, too, too, not an overly young boy. And a well-meaning but rigid-hearted leader went to the boy. And he said, you're going to have to take that cap off if you're going to come in here. 
And there was some resistance, but, but the leader wasn't going to hear the resistance. He just wanted that cap off out of respect. He was going to teach that respect. And um, I could see the boy's heart just kind of closing. You could just see it on his face. And, and when the cap came off, the cap was covering a head that was hairless, probably because of chemotherapy. And I watched, I just assessed on the outside. I just, my own assessment was that that teenage boy's heart just absolutely, the walls came up. And I'm sure that if God said anything to anybody that day, that boy probably couldn't hear it. Because he had so been um, judged on the outside. And I thought about that. (laughs) I thought about that a lot of times. You know, I I think about it probably most Sundays when I'm here. I, I I think about it. A lot, and um, you know, I, I, here's what here's what here's what I why I branded. I say my heart was branded about that because I just decided that to the best of my ability, that as a leader, I would never want to foster or allow that kind of leadership or loving mistake to happen in an area where I lead, because Jesus would never ever turn somebody away because of the clothes they got on. He wouldn't. <laughs> If you're not spiritual or you're spiritual, if you've got a lot of money or you've got no money, if you've got the right labels or the wrong labels or no labels, if you've got skin that's black, white, green, yellow, or polka dot, if you're highly educated or uneducated, I really don't care. I just want to say this. You're welcome here. You are welcome here. Do you hear that? People are welcome here. And, you know, as far as rules about clothes, <laughs> we got one. Wear some, okay? <laughs> okay? Let them do the purpose for which they're intended. Wear some clothes. That's our only rule. Because with Jesus, <laughs> it's not about the external. It's just not. It's just not. And when you make an assessment about the way you're going to dress or how you're going to adorn yourself or not adorn yourself, those kinds of things, your heart ought to not be about anything other than being careful that you don't somehow stumble other people. That's it. That's all I care about. So, so we're close. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, the Pharisees, they were all about show, and Jesus hated that. He hated it when people would add their own expectations and requirements, because that's really what toxic religion is. Um, I I mentioned we were going to talk about two most common ingredients. Okay, so the external, focus on the external is the first one. Here's the second one. The second problem about toxic religion is that it promotes spiritual pride. It makes us feel like we're better than everyone else. We're right, they're wrong, and Jesus really despises that as well. Okay, so in Luke chapter 18, here's the situation. Um, Follow along. Verse 9 to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, mind you, we already know what a Pharisee is. Here's the deal about tax collectors. It's not just an employee of the Internal Revenue Service. That's not what a tax collector was then. A tax collector was empowered and authorized by the government, in this case the Romans, to collect taxes from people. And the way the system worked was you were supposed to pay a certain amount of tax. But if the tax collector came to you and said, um, you know, I know you think you owe 800 but you owe $1,300, you'd have to pay him. They could pretty much extort, take the money from you, only have to turn in 800 and keep the difference themselves. 
It was very common. Tax collectors were very rich because they took advantage of the people. They abused their authority and they abused their power. So they were despised. People thought, you, you know, you just take advantage of the poor and the weak. And, you know, I feel heat blowing out like crazy. So if one of the ushers could maybe temper that issue, anybody out there, I'd be appreciate that. Um, Sorry, that's not what tax collectors do. They don't turn the heat up and down. But. So, so, ta- so, so a Pharisee and a tax collector. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like this, the other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. In other words, I'm right. Everybody else is wrong. I've got life all figured out. The problem is, that when you have this going on in your life, you can't see it very easily in the mirror. It's really hard to see this in the mirror. Because when you look down at everybody else, you just have this sense that you got your act together. Christians, here's another example. I haven't seen it so much here. But uh, Christians who take inappropriate pride in their church. They look down at other Christians because of style differences and sometimes pharisaical differences. You know, why is it that so many anti-religious people in the world want nothing to do with Christianity? Is a lot of times because they look at the church and they say, we can't even get along with each other. We've got the same Jesus and the same Bible and the churches can't even get along with each other. Listen, I'm not correcting you. I'm just telling you about this. I don't want us to go what I'm, wherever go where I'm going to describe in the next couple of minutes. And I want to say this, um, you know, when, when, people, when people in the world look at this and it closes their heart to God, it's because they're thinking, you know, I don't want anything to do with a hypocritical, hypocritical, joyless, loveless group of people that are just always warring with each other. So here's a very, very public statement. I mentioned this once before in the first couple of weeks I was here. We are for other churches. We are for other churches. You know, if they criticize us, it really doesn't matter. I'm not hearing a lot of criticism, but I don't really care if other churches criticize us. I mean, people do that kind of stuff. As long as those other churches are preaching the gospel, we're for them, you know? Um, you know, you hear these arguments, well, our pastor is an expositorial preacher, which means he get, jumps into a book and preaches through the verses in order because that's the correct way to teach. No, it's not. Jesus didn't teach that way. Or some, the opposite, people will say, well, our pastor is a topical teacher, which you've heard a lot of since I've been here. And the people say, that's the right way to do it. No, it's not. It's just a way to do it. Or, you know, we have organ music because everybody knows God likes organ music the best. No, no. <laughs> now we know God likes country music the best. <laughs> no, we've got smoke and fog and lights and all that kind of stuff because it's best. No, it's cool, but it's not best or we dress our best, or we, we're casual, or we have communion every week. All of those things, they're fine. They're fine. Um, but that's not the point. If the other churches preach the gospel, we're for them, right? Amen. Right? Okay. You know, so, I, I mean, I make a point about style. If style is a problem for you, get over style issues. Get over them because style really doesn't matter. It's the content and it's the message that we really care about. You know, apart from just the gospel, the way we do the things that we do here is really just a reflection of who we are. Our own lifestyles and so forth. It's just a reflection of who we are. So anyway, toxic religion puffs things up. It makes you spiritually proud. 
Jesus didn't come to make us religious. He came to set us free. Toxic religion, I think, really, really destroys. Um, uh, here's another example I'll give you. Um, Lisa and I, at one point, um, had dinner with a family. And um, um, it's nobody here, by the way, so don't be looking around. But um, We had dinner with a family, and um, they kind of wanted to get to know us and know who we were and what we believed and all of this. And as we got further into the evening, um, very slowly but carefully and deliberately in the conversation, our hosts started telling us about their expectations. Here's what a church needs to look like. Here's what you got to do to do it right. Here's da 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 This list of things. And they were fine. There was nothing wrong with the list of things. And... I suppose if this couple had been pastoring a church somewhere and were initiating the style and the philosophy and the form of leadership there, that'd perfectly be fine if they wanted to do that. What they were asking, though, was clearly out of step with where Lisa and I were, and, and by my assessment, out of step where with this group of people, you know, our style as a family. And uh, finally, I just said to them, you know, um, those things are all good. But you need to know, um, I'm not going to go there. But why not? I gave him my reasons. And I, and I said, you know, there was this implied commentary uh, because the people that I'm talking about had the capability to put a lot of money in the offering. And I don't care. Is that okay to say? <laughs> it's probably good to say, right? I mean, that doesn't motivate me. That doesn't motivate me. I think that's the danger of toxic religion when somebody feels that their offering gives them a vote. It doesn't. I, I'm not up here to be an autocrat, and I'm, I'm certainly not up here to push democracy. But we're gonna, we're, there's going to be one vote around here, and it's going to come from heaven. And we'll probably make some mistakes along the way. But we're not going to let toxic religion and the preferences of people drive us. It's just, it's, just, it's just a step down the road that we none of us want to get there. So I very respectfully and lovingly challenged his thinking and then lovingly said, you know, I really don't think you should come to Crossroads. And it wasn't that I didn't want him here. I'd love to have this couple and this family here. But I said, I, I think you will be unhappy because you have this list of, of preferences and, and expectations that are all godly. They're good ones, but we're just not going to be that way. Okay? Imagine, you know, somebody says to me, well, we've got to have an organ and change the kind of worship that we have. Some of you might like that, and that's fine, but it's not the style that we are and where we're headed. Anyway, so um, we're not going to embrace toxic religion. Instead, we're going to sell out to the purity of the gospel as best as we can, the good news, the gospel, the best news you'll ever hear. Romans 3, verse 20 says this, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So three quick points, and we're winding down towards the end of our message. Point number one, you cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. You can't work your way to God. Religion says 
that you get closer to God by what you do. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do. <laughs> that's, that's an example. That's not my policy. Okay. <laughs> Okay. You know, people think that they'll be right with God because they don't go to R-rated movies and they don't swear. Even when they could do plumbing, I don't believe it. <laughs> you know, verse 20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Point number two. The purpose of the law is to show you your need for a savior. Verse 20, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. That's what the law helps you understand. It helps you understand how much you need a savior. It's not there to show you how bad you are. It's not there to be your goal to get to heaven. There are good things for us to do. But we need a savior. And this helps us see that. Do you realize how many people, almost all of the people that you know that are, that are not saved don't believe they need a Savior? So they ignore the law. Because if they look at the law, their heart knows they need something. Did any of you ever lie? Has anybody here ever lied? Has anybody here ever lusted after something, um, coveted? idolatry <laughs> coveted you wanted something somebody else had or um, have you ever committed adultery or not adultery idolatry <laughs> you can put that one on the list too because I've, I've listed a whole list of things have you ever done any of those things lied come on let's see the hands okay anybody didn't raise their hands just now See, the law shows you that you need a Savior. That's my reason for asking you to raise your hands. Every one of you acknowledge you, you need a Savior. Every one of you just did. Point number three, righteousness with God comes by faith in God alone. It is Christ plus nothing. Amen. You don't get to add anything to the list. None of us do. Jesus' work, his plan of salvation was completely sufficient completely adequate. It wasn't almost good enough. It wasn't if only he had added this. It was complete and perfect. It's not church plus circumcision. (laughs) It's not church plus how much money you put in the offering. It's not church plus membership. It's not church plus how you behave. It's Christ. Romans 3.22, righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So, the question is, does becoming, does, does that, does the all that are, that's included in there, to all who believe, does that include doubters? Does it, does it include sinners? Does it include all the people who are really messed up, you know? Does it include people who grew up in church and know the gospel? Does it include people who don't understand anything about the gospel? To all through faith in Jesus Christ. Lisa and I, um, had the chance, we were back at the Foursquare Convention in Washington, D.C. a number of years ago, and in an afternoon we had available, we went and did some tourist things, we went to the National Cathedral. Now, if you've watched on TV, 
If you, maybe you've been there, or if you've watched on TV any of the big uh, funerals, like when uh, President Reagan's funeral service, or w- when there are big national events that need to happen in a church, that's where they go. It's up the hill away from the Capitol. National, it's huge, it's beautiful, it's worth going to see just from an architectural, architectural standpoint. We went, and they have docents, which are tour guides. Let's just call them tour guides. They're knowledgeable volunteers that lead you around, and they had group guides going every so often. And, and as Lisa and I got there, we, we kind of fell in between, and so we couldn't go on the tour, but there were several of these docents, and one of them said, hey, are you guys here for the tour? And we said, yeah. They said, well, you're in between. Why, why don't I just take you on one? Okay. So we had this private tour. And we're going in places and where the regular, regular go- tour goes, but because there's only two of us, we get to ask a lot of questions, and we say, hey, can we go over there? And we see the tapestries and all these wonderful things, and we get up front, and you get to the front of this huge cathedral. It's gigantic. And um, here's their stage area, and they've got two pulpits. From the audience, there's a pulpit to the audience's right and to the audience's left. And... Uh, as we're walking through here, you know, I'm, they say to me, um, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and um, I said, well, I'm a pastor. Oh, now, National Cathedral is an Episcopal church. But because it's the National Cathedral, they are open, they have to be available to any national event and without respect to religion, or without respect to your, your brand. And so they said, oh, okay, are you ordained? I said, yes. They said, oh, okay, you can go up in that pulpit. I said, what are you talking about? Well, that pulpit, you have to be ordained to stand in that pulpit. But over here, anybody can stand there. I said, so the president over there? No, he can't go over here. He's got to go over there. And I started thinking about that. Not even the president of the United States. And somehow I can stand there because I'm ordained from some little church in some little corner that nobody there even knows about, but the President of the United States can't stand there because he's not ordained. I don't know if you can follow where I'm going with this, but I got a pulpit right here. You know what this is really good for? It's good to hold my Bible up off the floor while I preach. That's pretty much it. It's like the point of toxic religion has bled over into secular America. Even in a public gathering place that our country uses for large spiritual events, toxic religion doesn't let you stand in a certain place if you're not ordained. But the, even the president can't stand there. That's toxic religion. That's toxic religion gone secular. It's around you more than you realize. Jesus didn't come to make us religious. He came to clothe us in his righteousness. Religion is always about me. Relationship is always about Christ. Religion is always about my external works. Relationship is always about what the Lord Jesus has done, his internal work. He did it all. He paid it all. Relationship with him is that I obey Christ because I love him. Religion says if I work really hard and perform, maybe he'll let me in. Relationship says I am who I am because of his goodness. Religion says, I'm going to keep trying to prove my worth to God because of my performance. Some of you might be thinking, okay, Terry, I get the point, but you're kind of going on here and that you're kind of giving license to people 
because of their faith in Jesus to do whatever they want. That misses the whole point. Okay? I didn't say that to you, and it misses the whole point. When you realize who he is, the Son of God, who left heaven, was born, lived a sinless life, was tempted, was persecuted, was flogged, was executed, and rose from the dead, you have only got really one reasonable response. And that's to say to the Lord, hey, take my whole life. Take my whole life, God, because of your goodness. People in the world hate toxic religion. They see it as a hypercritical fake. Remember um, back when we were looking at the Pharisee and the tax collector? Let's go back to that scripture, Luke 18. So we were, the, the, the Pharisee stands up and says, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. Okay, verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me, God. I tell you, these are the words of Jesus, that this man rather than the other went home justified before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Christianity is a relationship, and when you get that, you're never, ever going to be the same. You're never, ever going to be the same. I want to pray over you. And I did something really um, that I don't normally do when I prepare for messages. I wrote down some specific points because I I didn't know the Holy Spirit was just on top of this saying, make sure you pray about this, Terry. Make sure you pray. And um, so I'm going to ask you to uh, close your eyes and um, in a place of privacy, everybody, just um, let the Holy Spirit go to work. And I'm talking especially to Christians right now. Eyes closed. Have, have you ever been hurt somehow by the effects of toxic religion? Would you just put your hand up and down quickly? Don't have to hold it up, just up and down. Toxic religion has ever hurt you. Second question. How many of you have ever felt like you just never could be good enough? Up and down. Up and down. Lord, God, do your holy thing this morning, I pray. Just do your holy thing, Lord. Because this is a room full of people who don't want to have toxic religion, but want to have a vibrant relationship with you. You have just seen our, our confession to you, our testimony of where our heart's been broken in the past. God, I, it is so easy right now for us to be hurt by other Christians. Somebody didn't keep their word to us, Lord, or some sort of business deal didn't work out like we thought. We had some expectation for something and it just didn't happen. And Lord, it's so easy to reject you because of the shortcomings of other people, of other failed people, for the imperfections that we are. God, forgive us where we've charged those hurts to you. Forgive us for that. And for those of us, God, that even to the smallest degree in this room, or who are hearing this, to the smallest degree have ever been trapped by some form of legalism, Lord, would you please break those bonds? Just get in there and break them, Lord. For those who felt like they could never measure up, God, would you just sweep those lies right away? Because that's like saying your work wasn't sufficient, Lord. Forgive us for even considering that. And Lord, for those of us who 
maybe have had a sense of hurt, but maybe just to some degree we've kind of amplified it more than it needed to be, adding a little bit of this victim thing. God, instead, would you heal hearts that just didn't understand you, that didn't fully grasp your righteousness in our lives, that it never depended upon us, Lord, that it only depended on you. So, Lord, for people who raise their hands saying they, they have felt or do feel like they might never measure up, I just pray, God, that you would begin to wash that lie away, just completely away. Because, Lord, I know that every one of us, as your sons and daughters, we take first place with you. And I'm so glad that your heart is like is big enough that that's just, although we can't comprehend it, it's reality. So fill us with life, Lord, I pray. And Christians keep praying. I just, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if there might be people here who don't know God. People here wondering if, if you are good enough for God. I mean, the answer to you is no. None of us are good enough for God. None of us are that good. The law, the Bible only tells us and shows us our need for a Savior. Here's the thing. If you don't know the Lord, if you haven't opened your heart to Jesus, God never tasks you to become pure before he accepts you. Instead, he accepts you and then he makes you pure in his sight. To be saved, all you need to do is be like the tax collector and ask him to be your God and your Savior. You say to the Lord, God, save me. I give you my heart. I need you. As Christians are praying, I just want to take, I'm just going to take just a few seconds here and say to you, if you want to open your heart to the Lord, now's the time to do that. I'm looking across the room. Look me in the eye. Nobody else is looking. So if you want to open your heart to the Lord, just wave at me and look, look me in the eye. Thank you, Lord. Okay. So Heavenly Father, please take our lives, God, and I want to thank you for those two areas of healing and wholeness that you've just placed in our lives. God, we um, love you, and we are so grateful. We're so grateful, Lord, for the way you've loved on us. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen.